this is your host, Rosaria Kozar. Please always remember to consult with your physicians before attempting any changes to your treatment plan. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Rosaria Kozar, and you're listening to Living With Scanxiety. I really appreciate you tuning in today. And as you know, this podcast is to help you adjust to your child's new diagnosis. Today, I have with me Dr. Diane Portman. She's the chair of the Department of Supportive Care Medicine at the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. I was reading through some medical journals, and I came across a poem about scanxiety. I read it and just had to share it with you, but I'm not the one that wrote it, and I would not do it justice. So as the author, she is joining us to read this poem about scanxiety. I think it will touch you emotionally the same way it affected me, because there are dictionary definitions and medical definitions of scanxiety, but this, this one's different. So I hope you can connect to it as much as I did. So welcome, Dr. Portman. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you. I'm very glad to join you. The pleasure is truly mine. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and when you decided to tie poetry into the world of medicine? Yeah, I actually started writing poetry as a young person, and I even went to college on a writing scholarship, and then got sidetracked. I got interested in a number of different topics, but always had a strong interest in humanities. Uh, later, I, I worked as a management consultant and got interested in healthcare as part of projects I was doing in business, and decided in my 30s to go to medical school. And when I did that, um, I was so busy with training that I sort of lost sight of writing for a while. And Later on, um, I, I started concentrating on relief of symptoms, pain relief primarily. I trained as an anesthesiologist and was working in critical care medicine and pain management and was struck by uh, the experiences of patients that, that were sometimes very traumatic and began to think about writing again. I later had a devastating personal injury when the car I was driving was hit by an 18-wheeler Mack truck at highway speeds, and I narrowly... Wow. I narrowly survived that, and uh, it it gave me a chance to reconsider everything in my life and what I wanted to emphasize in my medical career, and I started processing my feelings again by writing poetry. So uh, since then, uh, I entered the field of supportive care medicine, which includes palliative care, and I began to think that uh, sort of putting the heart back in medicine through telling patient stories and reflecting on our own feelings was very critical to my mission. So I uh, often write to sort of clarify my perspectives and share them with others and help provoke discussion, agreement, or dissent, and um, really help folks understand that the what we're experiencing is all shared and universal, and there is both trauma and beauty in many things. So that's the focus of what I write. I primarily publish in medical journals so that the perspective is seen by those who read these, and we can discuss some of the uh, opinions that I offer. So they, they take the form of commentary a lot, but in verse. Wow. I'm so amazed by your talents, not only as a doctor, but as an artist or poet. Um, 
that was a tragic incident that you were in. And they always say um, those types of events do change you. And it seems like it did. I think that as a physician, you know, we like to think that we can somehow resonate with some of the experiences of our patients, the changes in lifestyle, the misery, the uncertainty. But I think um, there's no replacement for actually being a patient yourself to to understand aspects of the healthcare system and some challenges that we face and can fix going forward. So uh, it was very interesting when I when I was a patient, people would say harsh things. You know, uh, people who who have cancer, cancer in the families can, I think, identify with this. People who are trying to be sympathetic don't really know what to say, and they say some pretty um, interesting things sometimes that don't always feel good. And among the things people used to say to me were things like, gee, it's really good this happened to you because you treat pain and now you can really know what it's like. Oh, wow. And I thought that was, you know, really unduly harsh. And I like to think that I was empathic and compassionate before then, but there was a part of me that sort of got what they were talking about. And so when I write poems, I, I try to share some of that perspective that I think people can identify with and then discuss among themselves. And this cancer center that you work at, Moffitt, um, can you tell me about it a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's located in Tampa, and um, it's the only comprehensive cancer center that's designated by the National Cancer Institute in Florida. What that means is beside the amazing clinical mission that it uh, fulfills, it also does uh, cutting-edge research. And it's a very large cancer center. It's uh, rated in the top 10 centers in the country by U.S. News and World Report based on all its accomplishments and its um, mission and research for patients. Um, it's, it is dedicated toward prevention and cure of cancer, um, but also with the recognition that sometimes we can't cure, but uh, should strive to, to enhance people's lives and prolong their lives. It has variety of different support services to do that. And I belong to one of those services, the Department of Supportive Care Medicine. Wow, that really does sound like an amazing hospital. And we'll definitely have to touch back on the supportive care medicine at the end of the episode. It, you know, it, it, for me, I recognize that the diagnosis of cancer and its treatment are, are just terribly are challenging and, and they just turn over every aspect of the patients and their families' lives. So when when we look at the possibility for emotional upset, um, psychological and spiritual and, and physical challenges and social challenges, we know that to get through this journey at all whole, uh, it's really necessary to have as many people as possible in your corner with expertise to help reduce that platform of misery. So even though the work is challenging, just as it, it is um, to have that disease, uh, it, it's nothing but rewarding and fulfilling to be able to be part of solutions. I'm truly amazed by your positive outlook on it. You know, I think that that's mm -hmm. definitely needed by doctors. Um, you can't teach that, so it's really to help the patients and their and their caregivers. It's that's a huge deal, and that's actually what we're kind of talking about today because you wrote the poem "Scanxiety," mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. caregivers um, for 
children in this case, they um, go through the whole scanxiety either alone because their child is so young or with their child. So um, I'm really eager to hear this poem. (laughs) It did touch my heart. Um, So can you read it for the listeners? I'm I'm happy to read it. Um, What I'm trying to portray in this poem is the fear of failure of current treatments, the fact that a disease may be returning or progressing, there might be need for new treatments, and and even the prospect of death can loom. So these images create distress. So here's the poem. My nights before scans are disrupted by ruminations over shattered plans. In fret-filled dreams, I'm uncomfortable inside the machine, positioned with arms extended in graceless symbolic submission to unrelieved apprehension and vulnerable to the verdicts of strangers who will scrutinize the geography of my fate. They search for worrisome blots that highlight unwinding time, but do not show my dread of uncertainty as images illuminate but fracture solace by foreshadowing future loss. Peer past the films to see me unable to thwart the scanning strife, but still glimmering with hope. Wow. So trying to hold back the tears because that really hit me the first time. It does truly speak to every aspect of Scanxiety for the children and the parents alike. Um, I was just so impressed when I read it and so lucky to stumble across it when I was going through the medical journal and thank you for sharing that and while we have you here do you have a favorite poem that you would like to share i do and um, a lot of my work centers around communications and healthcare and trying to make those communications better i think that a lot of people who enter the medical profession or particularly in supportive care do so because they really enjoy uh, relating to patients and their families, but the the fields we're in, especially as they advance, just are so surrounded with technology and jargon that, and and we have a lot of time pressures that we start to sometimes lose sight of the humanity that we hope to create in our communications. So now there's a lot of skills training programs for doctors starting in medical school and going through all the different levels of training. And I teach some of these communications courses. And it's given me the opportunity to think a lot about types of communication, you know, verbal, nonverbal, and just the the wonderful relationships that, that people sometimes stumble upon by happenstance. So I'm from the South. I was, I was born and raised in Texas and I've lived in other places, uh, including in the Northeast, but here I am back in the South now. And particularly in the South, you know, we, we see um, sometimes just strangers reaching out to others and creating compassionate communications that are very meaningful, sometimes even more than those provided by the, the wonderful doctors and nurses that work in healthcare. So this poem, which is, takes the form of a story, a short story almost, tries to uh, give an example of one such encounter in the South. So it has some Southern um, language, and I may uh, kind of lapse into a little bit of Southern accent when I read it. 
Um, the poem is called Homemade. What's good? The sound of him makes me turn round real sudden. And I seen him raise up on that stool real slow, creaky, like a bent push mower, worked too hard with no oiling, mostly hollow. A hurt bird climbed up on a high roost, mouth set tight in a straight line. You all right? Yep, I reckon I'll make it. So what's good? Meatloaf with the best taters south of everywhere, home mashed and homemade. That sounded good, so I pushed it right close where he can see the steam from it rise and smell the butter I put in everything. He leans over, his slipping overalls pooching out, and he blows and hefts little bites on a spoon like he's digging a grave with a broom and wet mud. No more in a few bites, and he can't lift no more. He's tuckered out and looking down, like maybe I'll think he hates my cooking and has to make himself eat, but I know better. Right off, I see through him, sick like Mama was. Only he's alone with nobody to care but me, a stranger he don't even know. I see your eyes are bigger in your belly, but ain't nobody leaving here without my blackberry pie, home-picked and homemade. Folks come from all over these parts to chew on mine, but I still got a bite for you. He looks up, all shiny-eyed, squeezing back tears and nods okay. I get him a thimble of coffee and a bit of pie he can lick off his fingers. He sniffs real deep, and this crinkly grin pokes out. My mama used to make one just like this. He eats that bitty sliver and asks if I got more. So I drop tiny sweet pearls on his plate. And we jaw about this town and his farm where blackberries still grow all wild and thick and kids pick and mamas bake. And he smiles and sips talking about whiffs of cut grass, them fields after the rain, creek fish he caught and fried up and buttercups he gave his mama every springtime. All told, he takes maybe a few forks of that pie, all filled up with memories of smells he loves and folks who listen. That was real good, he says, half fallen off that stool to stand up. I'll be back. I know he more than likely won't. Loose clothes hanging off him like damp laundry on a line, waiting to dry and be took down. He totters, and I grab him across the counter. Wait, you forgot your pie. Both of us holding on, home-hugged and homemade. Wow, thank you for taking the time to share your favorite poem. I can definitely see how that would stir up some conversation within the medical community. That was really impressive. Thank you. And, you know, it it just, to me, it's just emblematic of just the day-to-day encounters and even fleeting relationships that are just so meaningful and caring for people. And sometimes it's just the right touch or the right word or brief conversation that can make all the difference in someone's life. So in supportive care, we, d- we just try to remember um, the humanity of, of uh, people and what we're trying to achieve by getting them through this journey. And I hope the poetry reflects that. I certainly think it reflects that, Um, definitely brings out the human side of things. 
Um, I just wanted to touch on or piggyback off something you mentioned about supportive care. It can sometimes be confused uh, by fusing the two hospice and palliative care together. Can you describe the differences between the two? Supportive care is, it was originally, I think, termed to describe the management of side effects during cancer treatment, but it's really broadened now to encompass the, the wide range of treatments that we provide people who, throughout the spectrum of care, from the time they're diagnosed to wherever their disease takes them, to help them feel better from a physical, emotional, social, and spiritual standpoint. It's a team-based discipline. You have to have the expertise of a variety of folks, social workers and chaplains and doctors and nurses, to sort of uh, achieve this balanced um, sense of well-being that we seek when people uh, face this platform of misery. So Palliative care is really just it's to specialized medical care for people with serious illness to address those facets I just mentioned. So supportive and palliative care and cancer are basically the same. Part of palliative care sometimes includes end-of-life care because I said we work with patients and their families from the moment they're diagnosed to wherever the disease takes them. And sometimes the disease is not curable and we are working with folks toward end of life, but it's just part of the spectrum of supportive care. Hospice is different and that's a a set of special services. That's an actual benefit funded by insurance companies or the, or um, Medicare to help people be at home, um, if at all possible, in the last phase of their illness. It also in- includes palliative care to focus on symptom management and, and making each day as, as qual- high quality a day as possible during that phase. Okay. So th- there definitely is a difference. Yes. Okay. So before we wrap up, um, can you just remind my listeners where they can find more of your poetry if they'd like? Yeah, so I don't, I haven't published a, you know, an anthology or collection in book form yet, but I and mostly I've focused on publishing my poetry in medical journals. I also do narrative readings at medical conferences. So next week, for example, I'm heading out to California to a communications meeting that, that I'll read um, this, the same poem at this homemade poem that I read. Um, and try and get discussion going about the issues raised by the poem. The medical journals are diverse. I mean, some of them are palliative medicine journals. Uh, there's some specialty journals and certain disciplines like lung care. And then I do uh, publish for a full range of populations. So I, I have poems published in geriatric journals and psychiatric journals. And this one, Scanxiety, was published in a journal of the American Psychological Association association called Families, Systems, and Health. So if someone wanted to read more of my poems, the best way to be, would be to just Google my name, and uh, usually the different journals or some of the poems would come up. Yeah, and if the listeners don't know how to find um, medical journals, there's uh, an offshoot of Google. It's actually still run by Google. It's called Google Scholar, and you can find medical journals there. Definitely. 
Definitely. All, all my poems would be listed in Google Scholar for sure. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Portman. It was a real pleasure, and I look forward to reading more of your work. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It was a, it was a privilege and an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're listening to Living With Scanxiety. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast and visit my website at www.livingwithscanxiety.org.